Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast today. Today we are going to talk about three signs you are settling. Anybody ever taken piano lessons, guitar lessons, or had a child who had to take some sort of music lessons that periodically required a recital? The music is selected, lessons are attended, and when done up to standard, meeting expectations, hours and hours are spent on this one piece of music. Hours and hours are spent listening to the same piece of music over and over and over again. One year, we were preparing for the fall recital. The students selected pieces of music for which they could also dress to the event, sort of like in tandem with the piece. So when a daughter of ours was younger, she dressed as Little Bo Peep because she was playing something like Mary Had a Little Lamb. You get the idea. This particular year, uh, she was playing the wedding march. You have not lived until you have listened to a nine or 10 year old on her way to becoming an engineer or curing cancer with a very linear mathematical one, two, three, four type brain practice the wedding march in your living room 400 times. Because we don't just practice at the strange house. Oh no, there are no lazy bones allowed while we are paying the bills. When it comes to something like a recital, I agree completely with the statement from Vince Lombardi. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. We practice as long as time will allow. I love recitals because they often mark progress as well as demonstrate how much time and energy the student has spent practicing well on the selected work. But not everyone holds my perspective. Some see it as simply an occasion to display how adorable they are. The bottom line is that you can be a good piano player regardless of age and play lousy at a recital because you were not ready and you settled for cuteness instead. We've all been there. We've watched children struggle through their page as if we, the audience, were peering through a glass wall into their personal practice session, which should have taken place more often and before the recital. We should all be cringing. It should be awful for everyone. But sometimes I look around at the parents and the beaming child who seems to be saying, isn't she adorable in her little dress pecking through old McDonald? Who cares that we could only discern the tune because of decades of familiarity? That, my friend, is settling for cuteness when the little type could have been so much more. It's in these types of situations when I can experience a clear distinction. I can see it. I can hear it. Talents I'm not talking about. I'm addressing today our proneness to settle for something like being adorable or cuteness in our own lives when we could be living, experiencing, and impacting others with so much more. How can you and I distinguish whether we are settling or if we're right on target? Today, I wanna offer three signs you are settling for less than God desires for your life from 2 Peter chapter one, and then offer some biblical suggestions for how we can live differently if we find ourselves in that first category. 
Let me begin with 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The first sign you are settling for less than God desires for your life is that you don't know the material. Peter mentions no words here. God has given us everything we need for life. By life, he's referring to our spiritual lives, our souls, that part of us that will live on forever if you're a believer in Christ, that part which is the life of Christ living in us, which enables us to do and accomplish all he has planned for us, and the method through which he has chosen to accomplish this progressive work of sanctification towards godliness and to give us everything we need for life is through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's just like the little girl pecking through the unrecognizable rendition of Old MacDonald. How many times have you and I sat there crying and whining about what we don't have to accomplish a task or what we can't do when, if truth be told, we really haven't spent one iota of focused time with the Lord on it. We just simply try to peck through the situation, relying on our cuteness in Christ to get us through. How is this knowledge supposed to help, Cherry? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Peter anticipated you would and explains it in the next phrase. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Not knowing the material, not knowing the exceedingly great and precious promises, their nature and what they are and how these impact us on a daily basis to Peter makes all the difference. I want to share four observations about this. First of all, God does the giving. We have nothing to do with receiving these promises from God. It's just because he's good. Secondly, it's already been given. It's not an an active word. It has already happened. He's already done the giving. And thirdly, the giving of the gifts and promises are purposeful. And the purpose is so that we may participate in the divine nature. Participating in the divine nature doesn't mean that we can become omniscient or omnipresent and all things godlike, but like him more in the moral qualities. And then there's one observation that was noted from the pulpit commentary who writes, God does not give us mature spiritual blessings, but rather supplies us with the means of acquiring them. These are the means to accomplish the ends. That's what these promises are. There's a purpose in it. And then within that, he issues a warning that God will not give spiritual enrichment to spiritual inaction. In other words, if we show up without knowing the material and we think it's okay because we still look cute, it's actually not. The second sign that you are settling for less than God desires for your life is that you're not practicing earnestly to get a good result. He says, for this reason, in verses five through eight, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
What the progression of these words communicate is the basis, the reasoning behind why we would not settle. The exceedingly great and precious promises given to us should spur us on. That's why Peter then says, for this reason. Peter is encouraging us to be earnest. The God of the universe, who has graciously given us everything we need for life and godliness, who gives us a place at the table, supernaturally imparts his divine nature into our measly offerings, expects us to continue to increase our knowledge of him, our skill levels and capabilities a lot until our dying breath. I might read, make every effort, or giving all diligence, depending on your versions, and just get exhausted and bogged down with the words because it sounds like a lot of practicing perfectly by myself on my own efforts for something as intense and purposeful as an upcoming piano recital with high stakes. And I think to myself, Lord, I just can't do it anymore. This is all I am. This is all I can do. And actually, I can't even do or be this. Instead of reading this passage, hope-filled with a load off, knowing that God is graciously giving me his exceedingly great and precious promises for all I need for life and godliness, somehow I sense an overwhelming heaviness that I'm just not ever going to get there because of verse 5, giving all diligence. I just, I just can't do it. This is when understanding the word is oh so helpful. I'm not a biblical scholar, but I can study and learn from those who are. If this is how you and I approach this call for giving all diligence, we are not understanding the text. Giving all diligence literally means bringing in by the side. This idea Peter is presenting is first of all that God is doing the work in our lives. He holds the promises and the pathway to godliness in all of us by His grace. But our responsibility to give all diligence is to come alongside that grace and those exceedingly great promises and that divine nature He imparts and let God do what He will do with it. Peter has this list. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and a brotherly kindness love. To really begin to reflect these qualities requires nothing short of divine intervention coupled with practicing all diligence and giving all our efforts toward the goal. To become possessors of these qualities will take effort. We just can't put on an outfit and look cute. You and I will recognize if we are settling for less than God desires for our lives if we are not practicing earnestly to get a good result. The third sign that you are settling for less than God desires for your life is that you live as if you don't believe. 2 Peter 1, 5-7 For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 8. If we do not have a buy-in, we won't do it. If you and I don't believe we can truly experience the divine nature, that we can earnestly pursue faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, personal perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love in increasing measures so that our lives are effective and productive, then we will not buckle down and take seriously the call and invitation beyond pecking through our lives of cuteness for Jesus. The beauty is that the wording here is you and I will actually be the owners of these attributes. You and I can become the kind of women who, in our own personalities, live lives of self-control. We truly can grow in our faith, in goodness, 
And as these increase, our confidence and knowledge of Christ increases. And as all these begin to spill out through the difficulties God allows us to go through, and we more and more own these, what were once unreachable qualities, we will begin to live out in our families and our marriages and our jobs. But there is also a word of caution here. Peter doesn't hold back the warning for settling. It's sort of inferred in the passage. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter's not saying in this truth is sort of the negative perspective. If you don't possess these qualities in increasing measure, your lack of growth and development will cause you to be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Christ. What he's not saying right out is the stakes are high. You can peck your way through mediocrity one missed note after another, content looking adorable in Christ, but you will live an ineffective and unproductive life. You just need to know what's at stake. Are you settling or are you experiencing the implications and the promises laid out before us in scripture? No one who is a believer in Christ is unqualified for attaining all that is promised in these verses. Now, let's turn our attention to this next dilemma. What if you find that you are settling? What can you do? First of all, make the decision to focus more on your relationship with God. Let's say your struggle is number one, that you don't know the material. Put yourself in positions in which you can know him better. Read your Bible. Read it daily. Read it more than daily, but read your Bible. Start with today. Whatever you're doing today, take it up a notch, but you've got to know what the word is. Pray. Ask him to help you. Again, whatever you're doing today, take it up a notch. Find a life group that your church offers or somewhere else if your church does not offer that. Find a Bible study. Study the Word. It's so important. Use your technology for good and not for evil. Change your music. If you're not listening to Christian music, listen to Christian music instead of secular music. Listen to more gospel teaching podcasts. I subscribe to one called Desiring God. It has John Piper in it, uh, David Platt. There are not a lot of women doing what I'm doing. So I asked my husband for some other recommendations. He has a lot of commute time and explores different pastors and really makes an effort to be diverse in who he listens to. So one he suggested recently was a man named Vadi Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. And a couple of others I can put on the website if anyone's interested just contact me at sheearns.com and I will get those to you. Use the YouVersion app. As you know, I'm a contributing partner to that. Everything that we do is for free, along with hundreds of other outstanding, nationally revered Christian writers and preachers and teachers and artists. I do a yearly plan all the time. I just keep it going, start it over. I let it play aloud in the mornings. I have a video plan that I do. I have a plan that I'm about to do with my girls and a few that I've just saved for later. I'll do a day here and there. I have several going at the same time. I really like using my technology for that. Also memorize the word. If you need some visual help, download the verse of the day. Start with that one. I have a lot of free ones at sheearns.com under free stuff. If you need it in your hand, I just finished a set of cards you can purchase at the same site. Options are plentiful. This is not our problem. Just do it. And I need to do the same thing. I just need to do it also. 
Journal, get in the habit of sitting down with your Bible alone and writing out what speaks to you or in your prayers and the insights you receive as you think about what you read or your questions. Just really get along with God and just have some time with Him. All these types of things are like keys on your piano for helping you grow in this knowledge and realize His precious promises to you. What if your struggle is more reflective of Sign number two, that you're not practicing earnestly to get a good result. Have you ever seen the movie Facing the Giants? It's a classic football movie where the unexpected team with the lesser coach on a more challenging scenario overcomes all adversity in the end. But in this film, God is the victor. This is evident all through the movie. It's a great film by the Kendrick brothers. There is one classic clip that illustrates my point here. Kendrick is the coach. The boys are practicing on the field. team captain is basically settling for being lousy, which means all the other players are going to follow. So the coach pulls him out on the field in front of the other players, makes him sling a guy on his back, blindfolds him and tells him to carry him as far as he thinks he can do in a bear crawl or something like that, which is about 20 or 30 yards. That's what he thinks he can do. About halfway into what the young man thinks is about 20 or 30 yards, the young man begins to balk and weaken. He begins to complain that it hurts. He can't do it. He is too tired. He's not going to make it. But his coach won't let him quit. And we hear on the screen, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. What unfolds is this young man who now cannot see how far he has gone with his coach screaming encouragement alongside him, helping him along the way, enables him to go all the way down the field, not just 20 yards, not just 30 yards, a feat he never expected or intended to complete. I don't know what you need for your life and for godliness. I don't know what fruitfulness in your particular life looks like. But the idea here in this passage that Peter writes is to spend all of yourself and not to hold back, to spare no expense or effort, just like this young man on the field, doing what he loved to do, what God created him to do, and you have a God alongside of you who has already given you everything you need to get down to the other end of the field. Will it burn? Yes. Will it hurt? You bet. Will you get tired? Most certainly. But will you go further and accomplish more in the kingdom economy than if you had sat on the sidelines? Your spiritual potential is at stake when you settle for not practicing earnestly for getting a good result. What if you find yourself settling because you live as if you don't believe that God has given you His divine nature? What makes you so special? I think this is an old tactic of the enemy and it's very effective. So there is no reason to quit using it on us, is there? But it's not logical when we stop and think about it. What would make you or me so incredibly unique that God would make sure these instructions and promises were given to all of humanity for thousands of years, but make sure you personally or me personally were excluded? So it might read, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness, except Cherry Strange in about 2,000 years for her. We won't write anything down about it, but let's exclude her. That thinking doesn't really make any sense. But somehow we buy it. And that's what we hear when we read it. Then we live it out as gospel truth. Somehow he doesn't mean you. He doesn't mean me. Oh, well, he'll do it for her, but not me. This is not true. His divine power 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Your God intends greater things for your life than cuteness and you just being adorable. And the beauty of it is that we get to participate in something that is totally supernatural and it happens in and through us and will continue if we cooperate for all of our lives. We would be crazy not to. We would be absolutely insane to settle in these three areas. The bottom line is that the Lord Jesus has desires and plans and experiences for your life that you and I cannot begin to fathom. Please, please don't settle for pecking out simple lines poorly, content to look cute for Jesus. Leave it behind. Instead, take on a symphony. Pursue it earnestly. Dress the part and play your guts out before your God and you will have no fear of being anything less than exquisite. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.